Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley, and it is 2-13-2022. We're continuing where we left off with the thought of the week and prayer. Hi, thought of the week. Truth versus tradition emotion. There is a classic passage. Well, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways declares the Lord. Truth should never be judged by your thoughts or your ways. Or another way to put it, do not judge the truth by how you feel about it. This is hard to see because we are so trusting and accepting of what is revealed to us. Truth should never be made to bow to what seems to feel right to us. As our Lord taught about those first century Jews, they worship the in vain. Their teaching are merely human rules. Truth is actually foreign to us, which is why we must have humility to see it. When the disciples heard the truth from Jesus, Thomas responded, responded with, Lord, we do not know where you are going, so how do we know the way? Or can you see Philip response? Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Or as Nicodemus said, how can this be? I am sure these questions represent all of us, where we hear traditional norms and standards. Not only has truth become honor, but we are often intense and frustrated at the sound of it. With the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed teeth at them. Truth is determined by what the Lord, by what, by what the Word of God teaches. And the Word of God is always ready for its teaching, rebuking, correction, training, and righteousness. Take it from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. That's so true because sometimes the truth it would penetrate the thoughts and interests of the heart, and it, those who are religious, it would hurt them. Like, that will also happen to, to Stephen and Acts and other passages of the prophets. When the truth comes out to those people that are very religious, they don't want to hear the truth or accept it. So, like the scripture said, your thoughts are not, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, it's true. Only God has the truth, and we shall abide by the truth. So I'm just taking this for the thought of the week, and we have the wife for our prayer. Thank you very much, Dave. Um, does anybody have anything specific you would like to pray for? I will include everybody's family and extended families, of course. Yeah, we're going to keep Gentry in prayer. Gentry Ford. Dimitri Ford. Yeah. Oh, Gentry. Oh, Gentry. Okay. All right. Thank you very much, Bill. All right. Let us go ahead and pray. Um, dear Father, thank you for this awesome privilege that we have to communicate with you and relate to you as father and son. We are adopted sons of yours. You have not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of adoption. And through this, we have a straight communication with you, Father. And Father, we 
ask you to bless our efforts in our church, Word of Truth Christian Church, wherever they may be, um, and um, including all of those who have been affected by the church um, in some way in the past. May they always remember that we are about your word as, as you would have us be in order that we can be trained in righteousness and be fully equipped and mature. Uh, we pray that our outreach on the web would be fruitful for you, Father. Um, we, we made it available. Um, we ask you to help us draw the hearts of those who are um, seeking you diligently. Let them discover this as, as a tremendous resource that's available to them without cost, just like salvation comes without cost. And also pray for the body of Christ worldwide and um, the learning, the, the studying, and the forces that work against them in, in trying to grow uh, spiritually. We pray that um, uh, we pray for those who are uh, encountering persecution and suffering. We pray for those with hardship, uh, whether financial or health-wise or, or otherwise. Um, you know the situations of each of us, and you know our hearts. And our hearts are focused on you, Lord, and we ask, uh, we ask that you would be with us, um, going through these things with us. We know there's rewards that come from suffering with Christ. It is a privilege to do so. Um, so let us be weary of our, of our, let's be aware of our time that we have in this sojourn and focus on, on what we have to achieve. And also pray for um, our own families, our extended families and friends and acquaintances, um, all of those um, whom we can share our lives with. We have this opportunity um, to relate to others, and we want to pray for those who are sick and not well, um, praying for uh, gentry and others that are on our hearts um, so that we know that we can not show that, but we know that we can trust in you and that you know all full things. Um, but again, this wonderful opportunity that we have to communicate and relate to you um, so intimately is, is something that we don't take lightly. Um, so be with us and in us as, as we confess any sins that we have that would uh, tarnish our relationship with you and forgive us of all sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness so that we can be open and humble and learn from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> Thank you, uh, Dwight. Thank you, Dave. We are progressing on <clears throat> in our context. I think we're in verse 8 today, so I'm just going to pick up so we can just orient to the context. 17.1. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. You have granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. 
I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. And they knew with certainty that I came from you. And they believed that you sent me. So that's the verse we're at, verse 8. And you should have notes in your notes. As Jesus continues to assure the Father that the disciples have met his requirements, we are also reassured that they are ready. The church is is the focus, and the disciples are off to a great start. With an, uh, what an honor for the disciples to be the founding members of the church. The church is, quote, his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That's Ephesians 1.23. The building of the church comes with a hidden dispensation, Ephesians 3.2 and a new calling and purpose never seen in human or angelic history. Of course, God must lay the foundation for us, quote, who will believe in me through their message. That's John 17 and 20. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, 2 Corinthians 9.15. So, We are focused here on Jesus's prayer. People call it his priestly prayer. Theology calls it. Although, as we get into it, we're going to find that, yeah, he does pray on behalf of the disciples. That's a part of uh, the agenda that he has, praying for the founding members, the disciples here of the church, this new entity that would happen within a new dispensation. So let's get into it. We, this is the context we are in. I just wanted to make remind everyone that this is where we are in our context. So let's dig into this first phrase, for I gave them the words you gave me. Another reminder to us that this is the Father's eternal plan. If we look at... Um, John 16 and 15, this is the reference I have. 16, 15, Jesus is saying, all that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, the Spirit will receive from what he will make known to you. So this is important information for us. This is key information as we think about um, how this plan is unfolding to us. Jesus made the point that he had given them words and they are the words that the Father supplied him. It's not like Jesus came up with the words himself and that it was his agenda. We do know that he is Lord, but that verse in 15 is a matter of humility. Jesus is transparent, telling us that the information, the plan, the agenda that he has does not come from him. It comes from the Father. But the fact that the Father has committed everything to the Son is now Jesus' attitude that it's mine. 
Now, I would hope we get that attitude too, you know. When we see when God has done something for us, benefited us in a certain way, especially as we as it relates to God the Holy Spirit, that we could say as with Jesus the same type of attitude that what was given to us is ours. It's not just, well, this is the Father giving it to me. Well, Jesus said it's mine. And I would say things that we have been blessed with in this age belong to us. We are what God has told us we are. Uh, those things actually are part of our experience now and forever. Uh, when we get to heaven, we're not going to lose the attributes of the Spirit uh, where it says that he would be with us forever. So it's a reminder, uh, for I gave them the words you gave me. It's a reminder that the Father uh, is behind all of this and that the words, uh, as we already related in previous uh, weeks of study of this context, that the finished work of Christ is not just where he dies on the cross and lived a righteous life, but it was also uh, on or he was tasked with preparing the disciples for this new dispensation. That was important. So point B in our notes, the words, uh, note, this is not the law, but Christ prepared uh, them for the new dispensation to come. And if we just read John 14, 24 through 26, we can see where I'm referencing these verses, uh, hopefully, which will expand what we're talking about here. 24 through 26 in John 14. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. And so in other words, Jesus, what we had already just said about him uh, being transparent, that the words come from the Father. Uh, all I have spoken... All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. So this is, <clears throat> this is part of uh, the heritage that the new dispensation would have. It would have God the Holy Spirit. Jesus is Lord. God the Holy Spirit is right there by our side. Uh, leading us, guiding us into all truth. All truth is deposited in Jesus from the Father. So this is part of our heritage, the fact that we do not have a heritage of the Mosaic Law. Jesus is coming to tell them something completely new. Uh, and he's, and it's not has nothing to do with the previous dispensation. The fact that uh, it was hidden from them is another indication that it does not have to do with them at all because they uh, were not privy to this information. Point C, Christ came to reveal the Father. He did not come with his own message and plan. This speaks of the unity of the Trinity regarding the eternal purpose for all things. So when we think about this, uh, in eternity past, before time began, we say eternity past, but before time began, we saw that the members of the Trinity were uh, conferencing, convening regarding 
what would be the plan. Uh, they, they had a goal that they wanted to achieve. And our, it, it was almost like we, when we enter the picture, we enter at this particular point in time or in eternity where they have concluded that they have already had a plan that they wanted to go forward with. They already saw the glory, as we saw in John 17, 5, that would subsequently follow this plan. They saw everything all the way laid out as it, as it went all the way through all of human history, all of angelic history, all of human history would all be uh, plain for, for everybody to see. And they knew what the outcome was for this plan. So all of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, we're all on board. And we see the roles that each of them has. The Father is the one who planned it. The Son is the one who executed the visible member of the Trinity. And then the Holy Spirit is the one who communicates this information uh, to mankind. And so this is part of the understanding that they had before the creation of all things, before the creation of any being or any life, they knew what the direction was. Although sometimes because of our um, indoctrination with evolution and things like that, we, we somehow think that there's not a master plan to all of this. And we, we look at the randomness and the the confusion that exists, and it further tells us that, well, maybe there wasn't a master plan. It's just too chaotic for it to be so. But what we come to understand as Jesus relates to the Father is that there is a master plan. This is not something that randomly occurred. The Trinity was on board with this plan before time began. So, Christ's objective, as we're reading about his mission while here on earth, reflects back to that period. And Christ, in his consciousness, his human consciousness, is reflecting back to a time when these things uh, happen. We talk about, Paul says, we were foreknown and predestined and adopted as sons. And uh, all of this language is uh, before time began. So Christ didn't come with his own message. He is operating according to a plan. And it not only does it speak to his cooperation in the plan, but it speaks to the, the entire Trinity's, the unity, the, the Trinity's cooperation regarding the eternal purpose for all things. So next point. Next thought is point D. When, when did Jesus first hear these words? Uh, so we're talking about, for I gave them the words you gave to me. And, um, uh, and, and these words, when did Jesus first come to hear these words? When did he first come to know what the Father wanted him to? to instruct the disciples or inform and instruct the disciples on. When did that happen? That happened before time began. And he learned of that in his humanity. We talk about how far Christ went in the knowledge and wisdom. And we, if we were to talk about where God wants us to go, 
in terms of the knowledge and wisdom. He says we are to go to the fullness and stature of Christ. And when we look at what, what did Christ know, uh, it is off the chart. We could only say, just like it says, what eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man. Uh, that's what he saw. He understood all of that. And, and when we look at the priestly prayer that we see in John 17, we see that he had a grasp of those things that happened before time began. And not only just a grasp, but wow, he saw it all laid out. He understood the plan. We could say, in looking at verse 5, that he saw eye to eye with the Father. And that was why he was here on earth. Not the glorified Christ. We're talking about while he was here. And that is the bar that is set for us when Ephesians 4 talks about the fullness and stature of Christ. So uh, I, I would say that's interesting for us to know. So John 17, 5, right? Jesus, when did he first hear these words? When he first confirmed the plan and saw the subsequent glory. That's John 17, 5. I mean, not only did Jesus see it, but the whole, the whole Trinity saw it. They saw what the end was. You know, I like George Harvey in those old radio broadcasts. And he says uh, this famous phrase that lives on. And now you know the rest of the story. So, and that's what we now some of you probably that probably went right over your heads what is Doug talking about well, you need to have some age on you to understand that but anyway what that is to say is we are learning the rest of the story after the fact okay? and that's what we're doing so uh, that's when he heard those words that's when Jesus understood those words and he placed them right there before he says before the world began the glory that I had with you before the world began. Point E, what are the words? <laughs> okay. He says, I gave them the word you gave me. What words? Let's talk about it. They are found specifically in the discourse in John 14 through 17. So uh, this discourse, what John did, uh, well, what God the Holy Spirit did through the apostle John, is miraculous. It is marvelous to think about how he combined those chapters. And really, we could include John chapter 13 in this. But from 13 all the way through to 17, where at the end of 17, he says, okay, now let's go. And he heads off to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he's going to meet Judas. Well, th those chapters, what he revealed, what John says in those chapters about uh, how Jesus revealed this plan and the Holy Spirit, when he comes, what he would do, how the disciples couldn't bear all that they had to. I mean, we're going to have to wait until the, when the Spirit comes. He will teach you, as we already read in verses 24 through 26 and 14. So... They are specifically, right, in the discourse 
in John 14 through 17. We have to say that, that when he says, I gave them the word you gave me, I have to point back to John 14 through 17. Really, we could expand that. I, I'm just being specific here. But if we were to broaden it, listen, the disciples were with Jesus for three and a half years, not just for the upper room discourse. He was with, they were with them and all of the training that Jesus had with them is a part of his preparation for them. We wouldn't just want to just say, oh yeah, just, you know, I'm going to uh, be the Messiah. I'm going to pay for the sins of the world. And then, oh, by the way, this last discourse here is for you, the church agent. I think it's very specific in how John uh, related that story to us. And we have it right there in front of us in, in the word of God. But Jesus, we could point back to lots of other passages and other of the parts of the gospel where uh, Jesus said things that were a part of him revealing this uh, platform for the church. So it's important that we see it that way. Uh, those were the words. So point F breaks it down a little bit. Some dynamics of the spiritual life that would be the reality in this new age, right? So because obviously if, if the words are referencing a part of the preparation for the church age, then we could talk about it. We can broaden that and talk about it. So what are some of the dynamics of the spiritual life that would be a reality or the reality in this new age? And let's go through some of these points. There are five of them. One is the announcement and coming of the spirit of truth, the comforter, the advocate, right? The, we have already covered some of these verses. Uh, might be good to read a couple of them just to be sure. Uh, John 14, 16 and 17. Uh, and, and just to note, these words are unprecedented. Uh, even in John 15, which I didn't cover, there was a new concept uh, that Jesus brought forward with, I am my father's the husbandman, I am the vine and you are the branches. That whole concept even though borrowed from Israel, is now given to us from the church. Right? That, 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 that Israel is the vineyard and all that, right? But, but Jesus modified that for the church age. So anyway, John 14, uh, I think, where are we here? Verses, what do we want to look at? Uh, uh, 16 and 17. 16 and 17 of John 14 says... And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And then if you skip down to 26 and 27, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. So in, in those, it's it just letting us know there's something coming. First, what upset the disciples, uh, we already know, is that Jesus said he was leaving. That was the big deal. Like, what do you mean you're leaving? Aren't you the Messiah? 
even when Jesus says, yeah, the Son of Man is going to have to go to Jerusalem and he's going to have to, uh, he's going to get into this skirmish with the chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees. They're going to, he's going to be beaten, crucified. And then on the third day, he would rise. They had no clue. They were like, wait a minute, that can never happen to you. No, no. All of that did happen. It was part of the words, that the preparation for the disciples. And then John 16, 7 through 15, which we are very aware of. 16, 7 says, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And then he goes on to say, when he comes, this is verse 8, he will prove the world to be wrong about sin, to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. And I'm skipping down to verse 13 or 12. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. So there should have been an expectation that the disciples had. There should have been uh, something to where they were on the edge of their seats waiting for this time where Jesus is referencing and preparing them that they would, would also be ready. But also during this time, before they would get to Pentecost, which we know is the time, they would have to go through what I've termed the emotional roller coaster. And that is... They'd have to witness the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So all of that Jesus explains especially well in 16. So finally, the disciple says, we get it now. Now we got what you're saying. We understand. Well, thank you for that explanation, is what basically they were saying. So, so the words had to do with all of that information in the discourse. Point number two, if we expand it, the father and son will be at home in them. This is part of the dynamics of the church age, is where the father and the son, and we could also add the spirit, uh, are indwelling each member of the church age. That's a difference. That did not happen in Israel. The father and son will be at home in them. That's John 14, 20 through 23. We've read that many of times. I'm going to move forward. The same dynamics would be for us as well in John 17, 20. If you read that, it says, I'm also praying not just for you disciples, but for those who will believe on me through their message. And if you keep going to, to the next verse, it says that they will be one as we are one, just as I am in you and you are in me. May they also be in us. Well, that information is a part of the dynamics of this age. And that's part of uh, the words that Jesus gave to prepare the disciples for what was coming. And then the same dynamics, uh, that's 1720, uh, verse, not verse, but point number four, the baptism of the Spirit. So Acts 1-5, if we were to go to Acts, the book of Acts 1, and verse 5 says, uh, well, let's see. Let's start with verse four. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father 
promise, which you have heard me speak about. No, this is not something new. I've been telling you this, so you should be aware. You should be prepped for it. Verse 5, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, we know a few days from here, we could track this because Jesus was resurrected on Passover. Oh, I'm sorry, three days after. He was with them for 40 days. And then, uh, so Pentecost, we know, is typically in, in the Jewish calendar, 50 days after Passover. So we know that when it, where it says in a few days, they would get, be baptized there, that is, with the Holy Spirit. Well, when, what, what happened in a few days here? We're talking Pentecost, right? That's when the inauguration of the church began, Pentecost. So, uh, We've been studying these things, so we, we know these are the words that prepared them. Uh, and then there are other ministries of the Spirit that we can talk about that happened uh, upon the inception of God the Holy Spirit to the world at Pentecost. And what are, what, what are some of those? The indwelling of the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit, sealing ministry of the Spirit, as well as the gifting of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so Pentecost was not necessarily the disciples were getting saved on Pentecost. They were already saved. But these other ministries of the Spirit, not only the baptism, but those other four ministries would be prominent and permanent in the lives of every church age believer. So that is uh, those. When we talk about we talk about the phrase for I gave them the words you gave me. And point number two is, and they accepted them. So, if they accepted them, point A is, we can know Jesus' prayer that the disciples were on board. We could see that when Jesus made that prayer, when it was from, from what we are reading, we can know that the disciples were on board with the plan. They understood that something big was coming soon, uh, and they, they were ready. They were expectant. I think I, I left off something here on my notes. But I would say, and they were expecting something to come. And that's what was happening. Uh, they, they should have been already prepped by Jesus so that, especially what we have just before he, he ascended, he told them even more. So the disciples were ready. Point B, the disciples were still not sure what was coming next. But God clearly, uh, or certainly, was sure. Now think about it. Pentecost came, and so did the Holy Spirit. So we know what was next. We saw what was going to happen next. We have the history of hindsight. As my dad would say, hindsight is like no sight. Because everybody can see it. Everybody can know what's going to happen after it happened. That's not any feat. But... The disciples, uh, as we look back, we can see the history of the church age. We can see how it developed. We see how it all came about. But it would have been something for you to be in the disciples' shoes or sandals because they had to go through it. 
They had to go through, as I said, the emotional roller coaster, death, burial, and resurrection. It was a lot for them to grapple with. Remember, they were Jews. <laughs> so Acts 1.6 is a good indication of all of that. Acts 1.6. Here's the disciples' mindset. Then, this is after Jesus told them about the baptism of the Spirit, right? Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They had no idea. Jesus is getting ready to ascend. He lifts up from them and ascends into the heaven and they're looking up at the sky, seeing Jesus go away. That's what they're getting ready to, is getting ready to happen. But in their minds, they think, okay, so uh, we think we understand where we are. Is this the time when you're going to restore Israel? We know you're the Messiah. We know that. So is it at this time that you will restore Israel? They still don't have the detail. But that's okay. And this is why I say it's okay. The disciples were not sure, but God was certainly sure. Pentecost came and so did the Holy Spirit is the point. So disciples had to learn. God is not giving us information where... You know, we just sit back and say, oh, we already know it all. We learn. And this is why it says we have to renew our minds. We have to come to the knowledge of the truth. We have, uh, like it says uh, in Second Peter 3.18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is not something that we have already. This is part of our spiritual growth, to grow into the plan of God. But God already knows what it is. And he's moving forward, and we just have to catch up. That's what, what has to happen here. So point C is they receive the preliminary words given by Jesus. I would say they fully understood all that would happen. Um, uh, I, I would not say, rather, I would not say they fully understood all that would happen. For them to ask that question in Acts 1-6, just before Jesus ascends, tells me they still got a lot to learn. And and why do we say that? Jesus said it in John 16-12 best. He said it. I'm going to read it because it bears uh, that repeating again, even though we have read it. It's John 16, verse 12. He says, I have much more to say to you more than you can now bear. They couldn't handle it. They couldn't handle why. Why couldn't Jesus just tell them all this information right now? Because their orientation was Israel. They were Jews. And yes, they were saying, Jesus was saying some things that were incredible, things that were hard for them to believe. Like Philip said, how can this be? Show us the Father. We don't know the way. What are you talking about? They, yeah, they were confused. But what we see here is Jesus had to give them some of, or he had to introduce the information to them, but they still didn't have the framework and the orientation to understand it all. That's why he says, I got much more to say to you. Much more, not just a little bit more, much more. More than you can now handle. You wouldn't be able to handle it. Let the Holy Spirit handle this. When the Holy Spirit comes, 
He will take and guide you into all truth. You will get a chance to see it from his uh, guidance and tutelage. So uh, point D, they certainly did not reject the words, right? Well, when the, Jesus said they accepted them, they did not reject the words. Uh, they were given by Jesus and accompanied by signs, wonders, and miracles. So when we look at John 14, 11, <clears throat> I want to read that. I want to make sure these things are part of our under, understanding of so 14.11 says, believe me when I say, and when he has to say, believe me, we should know that the disciples did not believe him. Right? They were having a hard time with some of the things Jesus was saying. What was he talking about? He's talking about the dynamics of the church age. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else, or at least, believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Minimally, if you don't believe nothing else I've said, you ever hear people say that? Ed? If you don't hear anything else I've said in this whole discourse, remember this. Right? This, is, I've, this is Jesus giving us the, the most common, low, what we call the lowest common denominator. And that's here. If you don't understand this, then at least you ought to believe on the evidence of the works themselves. You know that this is supernatural. You know God is in it. There's no way you could see the things that you've seen, experience the witness, and witness the signs, the wonders, the miracles, the resuscitating people from the dead, as we talked about earlier today, and without God being on board with, with this. So they didn't reject the words. They might not have fully understood them at first, but they didn't reject them. It was new information. But they believed. They came to believe. And that was a part of uh, at the minimum that they needed to, to have. What Jesus says, on the evidence of the works themselves. You've been witness to that. So at least believe from that perspective. So he gave them these words and they accepted them. And point number three is they knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. Let's look at this large phrase. There's a few points to make as we get into the closing. We really do not need scriptural evidence for their knowing with certainty because we have the testimony of Jesus right here. So one of the things I, I note when um, I'm going through these points of interest here is that Often I'll put scriptures in. Uh, see, here's a reference to why I'm saying what I'm saying, because you can go to this verse and it says pretty much the same thing or it teaches it. But, you know, we don't really need any evidence when we got the words of Jesus. This is evidence. This verse is evidence that, yes, they believed. We don't have to turn to another verse and say, see, this verse corroborates this no, we have the testimony right here. That's the evidence right here. Uh, and it's the testimony of Jesus. Not saying it's any more weighty than whatever else the Holy Spirit has given us, but it is weighty. Okay, point B. Even though the Father was invisible to them, this note, he's telling about Jesus came to reveal the Father, but they couldn't see the Father. 
That's like what Philip said, show us the Father. That'll be enough for us. Well, what do you mean, show us the Father? Well, visibly, tell the Father to come out from behind that tree, and then we'll see who he is. Then you keep talking about him, but we can't see him. He wasn't visible to them. It was about a spiritual revelation that they needed to see regarding the Father. So Jesus, and I would have to say, this is my, that Jesus did an excellent job revealing the Father. That's John 1.18, where Jesus says, no one has ever seen the Father except the Son, who is himself God, and he has made him known. That's John 1.18. Jesus did an excellent job because they know now that, and believe that the Father sent the Son. They understand, and that's part of the plan that they know. And understand. It's not just well. Um, you you you're telling us about this invisible Father that you keep saying, but now they know. They know and understand that the Father sent Christ, and they understand that something big is coming as a result of this. So this is this this is point B. We're going to point C, and they believed that you sent me, and that's part of the last part. They understood the Father's plan, at least in an introductory way. And we already said, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. We already said that. So we're not expecting them to fully comprehend all that we do because we have the full epistles. And not only the full epistles, but that is said to be the completed canon of Scripture. We have it all in writing. And uh, so we don't expect the disciples to have... Um, the full knowledge of this, we expect that they would have to grow in this as well. But what they have laid down in the foundation, the apostles' doctrine, is what we stand on, that we earnestly, as it says in Jude, earnestly contend for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. They got there. They understood. And we can easily say that. Okay, so point D. The disciples give us hope that we can change too. Because we, we saw where they were. They were stuck in the mud of Israel. They really, I mean, they were, uh, they were slaves to the, the way they thought, uh, the religious norms and standards that were part of their lives. But we can change. They give us hope. So we are not slaves to traditional and cultural norms. We can think beyond where we came from or what was normal to us. We can learn. We can have humility to hear and learn from God uh, what, what he has to tell us about who he is and what the plan is and all of that. We're not stuck to say, well, no, God, you can't because it violates some of my norms and standards. See, gr growth is about change. It is not, people always want to grow, but they don't want to change. They don't want to change the way they think. They don't want to re, uh, renew their minds when it comes to God. They love, and that, that is what re religion does. It, is, it revolves around the norms and standards, and people circle the wagons. They don't want to have uh, any new thought introduced 
They just want to continue with the old lang syne. And this, this is what happens in religion too often, that people are stagnant. If you look at water, if water is stagnant, it begins to stink. And there's all kinds of bacteria and things that grow in the water is it because it is stagnant. But when it is flowing constantly, it is constantly renewed with uh, water, new water. Water doesn't just circle around and come back and, and go again. The water that is goes, circulates, never, you never see it again. There's always new water that comes. And, and it reminds me of what Jesus says about the church age. He says, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. And that tells us something about this age. And, and he even says, this he spake of the Spirit, whom which they would receive, uh, but at this point they had not received it. He's talking about the experience and the dynamics of our age. It's not like we got some things to learn in this age. We got everything to learn. In fact, you know what it says? It says that part of our age would be that we have uh, what eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man. So change is a part of something for us that is completely uh, not what we were uh, raised and oriented to as uh, what we've learned from our experience. It is something that we've never seen, never understood. In fact, it says the people who reject the spirit trying to teach us that, they would say it is foolishness to them. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 2.14. It says it would be foolishness to them because they're not willing to change. So change is hard. Uh, and we don't, but looking at the disciples and watching them and, and seeing the success of what God did in building the church using them as the foundation, we have hope that we don't have to be slaves to traditional and cultural norms and standards. Point E, this is our last thought. Their change, how did it come? What happened? So that we can examine it a little bit. Their change came with knowledge and faith in God's word. So as we learn God's will through his word, the word of truth, uh, we are challenged to believe it. That's the first thing. Yeah, We're going to hear it, but then we might say, I don't know, that's just like the disciples said. Yeah, How can this be? I don't know. Well, show us the Father. We're, we don't know the way. <laughs> Where are you going? Right? They could have all those questions. All of that is coming to know what God's will is through his word. We're going to be challenged. But belief, when we do put our faith in it. When we trust in what God's word has said, it changes our reality and our orientation so that now God can teach us. He can tell us what he wants to tell us on his own terms. We break out of the boundaries of human limitations and we accept the spirit and the teaching of guiding us into all truth. This is part of what God has for us in this age. 
That's why he tells us in Romans 12, 2, which is our last verse that we will read. Romans 12. I'll read more than two. I'll start with one. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as, live, uh, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We're going to have to stop today, but to note that is part of what is normal, what pleases God, is that we not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but that we renew our minds, that we be transformed. And that is part of the normal spiritual life for every believer in this age. Let's bow our heads as we close. We will continue with this context next week. Thank you, Father, for this time we've had. We thank you for challenging us. As we saw the disciples um, have to assimilate new information, information that contradicted what they knew as Jews and how they transitioned and came to understand and struggled, humanly speaking, with the information. But yet, we saw them prevail. So, Father, we know we can follow in the steps that they provided. We can learn the doctrines. We can understand what you want us to know. And we can be exactly the church, the body, the fullness of Christ, just as you said. So we thank you for those who have assembled themselves here. We pray that the message will go uh, to others as well and that they will, it will be received and your word will not return unto you void. We thank you for uh, this church as we are able to speak about these things and talk about the things that you have provided us in your word. All this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.